pray for us real quick. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, there's men and women in this room, Father, who are uh, here to gather and sing praise to you, but also, Lord, who are tired, who are weary, who are um, full of pride, full of sin, full of anger, full of fear. So, Father, I ask you just to meet us where we're at this morning, Lord. For those who need to be encouraged, encourage those, Father. For those who need to be broken, break those this morning, Father. And, Lord, give us all a childlike humility and obedience this morning, Lord. And let you receive all the glory um, from our time today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're going to be in Luke 8 if you want to go in your Bible to Luke 8. Um... You ever uh, have like those days or those weeks where um, it's just like so hard and it's so heavy and it's so exhausting just from the brokenness of the world? Like you're almost scared to answer your phone because you're like just you get a text or a phone call and you're like, oh no, well, what's it, what, it going to be now? Or, or, or even lately, you just turn on the news and there is like just this sense of, Disunity, um, angst, fear, brokenness. I know in the life of our church the past few weeks um, has just, even in my own home, has just been just this real extreme uh, spiritual attack where the enemy is just like at work. And you see these things in the life of people that you love dearly. And there's just innate thing that you just want things to be better. Like, so I'm, as I get older, um, I learn more and more. I, I am created, the, the way God has wired me is uh, I'm a harmonious person. I love for there to be harmony. My wife's laughing right now. Um, I do not like conflict. I do not like brokenness. I do not like things not fitting together. Um, and so, like, social media for me is, like, exhausting. Because you go on there and all you see is just like the rants of a broken world, right? You see just the, the rants, of a, and, it, and it literally, there's times like either with my family or the world around, just our country, um, our city, my neighborhood, where I just see all this brokenness and this hate and this fear, and it literally keeps me up at night. It like just exhausts me. And, and, and as we look at the text this morning, the question I want to answer is, how do we move in and attempt to like change and fight the darkness of this world? So I was thinking back to like, uh, I, I grew up in church, in a Baptist church, and uh, many good things uh, I learned growing up. Uh, one thing I remember for sure when I was in high school, we did these things called Judgment House. Ever heard of those things? Pretty awesome, right? Um, it's where you come in and you have different rooms. People try to scare you into like following Jesus. And uh, that's basically what it was. And so heaven was bad. Hell is, heaven, sorry, heaven is good. Heaven is good. Hell is bad, right? In extreme, extreme ways. And what I remember most is that there were, I guess people my age now, adult volunteers who would spend like a week straight at the church, like getting these rooms ready, like practicing their lines, doing all, People were giving their lives to this thing because there was this hope that through this means right here, they could, in a sense, change the world. 
that if we get enough people in a room and we scare them or convince them or persuade them to just say yes, that somehow we will fix things. And so, you know, uh, being younger now, we kind of tend to, we tend to reject that form of life and ministry as being all these things. But what is our answer now, right? How do we attempt to change the world around us? What do we do? Normally, we try to convince hearts and minds through a thing called Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Zanga, whatever you use in your life now. We use these things to voice our opinions to hopefully in some way influence and change the world, right? If I just put this picture the right way or this quote the right way, things will work out. And the truth is, things are still completely broken. And we also tend to, especially with younger people, millennials as they're called, I guess, uh, younger people, there's this idea they want to change the world, right? And for some reason, people my age and older want to just laugh at those people. I want to tell you something. The desire to fix the brokenness in the world is a great desire, In this room, we should cultivate a desire to change the world, right? We shouldn't shoot that down or be sarcastic or be dismissive. If you're a follower of Jesus, the things in the world should break your heart and you should want to enter in and make things better. That is the call as ministers of reconciliation. But the question, the challenge, the tension is how? If we are called as followers of Jesus, as image bearers of him, as proclaimers, as ambassadors, how do we go about changing the world? Look at Luke 8, verse 26. Then they sailed, this is Jesus and his his disciples, to the country of of that word, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. This is like Judgment House right here in this guy's life right here. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. Here's his picture. This is a man who is fully naked, living among tombs, shackled and chained. That is a bad life, right? Controlled by demons. They had him seized. He could do nothing to help himself. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, can you imagine watching this for a second? Just seeing this naked man, these demons go to these pigs, and just all this craziness, right? They fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. This man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed 
and in his right mind, and they were afraid. The first step before we think about like changing the world, for us entering in, changing the world, doing all these things. The first thing that must happen, hear this, we can't skip past this, past this, we can't assume this, that we need to change. The people in this room, the men, the women in this room, we need to change. Because here's the truth. You are a part of the problem of the brokenness of this world. I am a part of the brokenness of this world. And we can't attempt to enter in or, or change or do work before we are changed. Let's keep going. Verse 37. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the, that word asked him to, be a part, to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got in the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So we need to change, right? Hear this right here. What did you say? Declare how much God has done for you. All change in our lives is predicated on Jesus coming and changing us. So remove any pride that you have right now. Remove any standing in your ability to be a moral person in your, in your studies, in your love for others. Remove it all. Jesus has to be the one to enter in and to change you first. Because of what Jesus did, what controlled this man completely changed. This man was literally seized by demons, right? Literally seized by demons. Jesus spoke his words and entered in and removed that power. Now we read this in our, in our hyper-rational time we live in, and we think, well, I'm not seized by demons. This applies nothing to my life. But here's the deal. We are all controlled by something. Look at Luke 19. Look how Jesus saved and changed a wee little man named Zacchaeus. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. I want to sing. I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully because Jesus came to him. Jesus spoke to him. Zacchaeus responded with joy. He came down. But it goes further. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Listen, this one man we see here was controlled by, seized, controlled by demons. But Zacchaeus, this is where it comes to us, right, is controlled by greed, by money, by power. But when Jesus enters in, when Jesus speaks, when Jesus comes, when Jesus opens our eyes, we let go of those things. We don't control those things. Those things do not control us anymore. Listen, not a, a perfect, not a sinless life, but this innate desire to follow in the ways of Jesus, to say nothing is mine anymore. This is us carrying our cross, right? Dying to ourselves so that we can have true life. See, we downplay what 
what controls us. Here's what I mean. So we see like demonic forces seize this man, right? And we say, that is, that is, that is bad. We have categories, right? I read a book years ago called Kingdom Matrix, and it said that many times in the West, we break down things into black, into white, into gray. So demonic force is definitely black. If not, let's talk later. That's a black right there, right? We stay away. That's bad. But, you know, feeling a desire and a control for your own money, that's kind of gray. I mean, I did earn it, so it, it is kind of mine. Not really kind of loving those not like me. Well, you know what? They're not around me. They're not like me, so I'm not going to, that's kind of gray. And we kind of put things in these categories right here. Friends, in God's kingdom, there's black, there's white, there's no gray. We're either following Jesus in his ways or we are not. So we have in this day to understand that the forces of greed, consumerism, selfishness, apathy, those are demonic forces. And those demonic forces only go away through the power of Jesus through us meeting Jesus and being changed by him. So in in both these passages, you see two results. The first is right here. A humble realization and declaration that Jesus had changed them. He was changed by Jesus. It wasn't information that he learned. It wasn't this like um, belief system or worldview that he then agreed with and was now saved, right? No. He was changed by Jesus, not by knowledge, not any of these things that we tend to use for our salvation. You see, when someone meets Jesus, I had a friend I talked to this week, and he said this. He said, when I was 10 years old, I was saved from hell. But years later, I was saved from myself. And I was talking to this friend, and telling him, and this is a great man of God, a man who is full of wisdom, and I was telling him that his humble story being saved from himself preaches a much better sermon than all the stuff he knows before that. That we tend to think we have to just kind of know every detail, every bit of theology, we have to have all our stuff together. The most special thing you have is the story of Jesus changing you. I know um, Y'all know my story, my full story. My story has a lot of ups and downs, a lot of good and a lot of bad. And me and Tracy were talking the other night about, you know, how our family is and what God has done. And even being right here with you guys is an example of God changing somebody. Right? Not perfect. Ask my wife. Ask Luke. Ask any of y'all in here, actually. Just ask yourselves. You know the faults, right? But God He literally, before we can do any work from him, he has to change us. Not just agree to be on his team, but he has to actually change us. The problem for many of us in this room, we try to change the world with no power from God. No real stories of God changing us. Second thing, they were controlled by different things now. The demoniac, not seized, been controlled by demons. Zacchaeus, not controlled by his money and greed. We have to move beyond just ascribing belief to a worldview and, and move towards dying to ourselves. If there is no desire to die to yourself, listen, we're all growing and being sanctified and dying to ourselves. But if there is no desire to die to yourself, there is work to be done. There is confession to be made. You have to meet with Jesus and then die to yourself. 
Not perfect, not sinless, but changed and different. Uh, Dallas Willard says this, the genuine presence of God in a person cannot be hidden. Let me say that again. The genuine presence of God in a person cannot be hidden. Neither can it be controlled or standardized. Is the presence of God in your life hidden? Does your spouse see it? Do your coworkers see it? Does your sister see it? Does your brother see it? Does your friend see it? Does your neighbor see it? Because the presence of God cannot be hidden. And I confess to you guys right now, many times I feel like the presence of God is just hidden in my life because I, 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 I get controlled by smaller things. We can't begin to change the world if we're not first changed and if we're not constantly being changed, right? There is this idea of sanctification. We were constantly being changed, being renewed. It's not just a one-time thing. We meet Jesus, we're changed, and then we continue to be changed over and over and over again. So you're, if you're in this room, it's very possible you're a believer in Jesus, a follower of him, you've been changed by his Holy Spirit. And the question is, okay, so what is next? If I do have a story of God delivering me, my question for myself, what is next? What am I giving my life to to see change actually happen? Look at verse 39 in Luke 8. Jesus tells him, he, this guy wants to be with Jesus. He wants to sit at his feet. That sounds great and good and right. Jesus says this, return to your what? What does he say here? Home. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. He sends him back home. He doesn't send him to the place that hasn't heard the gospel yet or this place over here. He sends him home. Look at Zacchaeus. In verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to what? This house. It's come to this house. There is this expectation for Zacchaeus, now that he's received this good news, that Jesus is sending him back to his household. Uh, The Greek word for this is called oikos, not the yogurt. It's this idea that means household. Let's keep going. Here's part of the issue. Look at Acts 2.41. So we know Pentecost happens, right? And we see Peter preach just this incredible sermon. And look at what happens in Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Listen, every preacher who reads that wants that sermon. They want to preach that and see everybody in there be saved. And listen, in the West, we have based all of our ministry. This is not normative. This is not how God really designed things to to carry out with the gospel. This is an extreme, special circumstance. But in the West, we have made this the normalized way of ministry, where we get lots of people come in a room and hear this illustrious, great sermon from idiots like me and want to see God do this amazing thing. You know, it really fits in the West, um, two things the ego of the pastor, and the consumerism of the church around them. Because the pastor loves being heard, and honestly, all of us love to just sit, right? And so we think for us to succeed as the body of Christ, we have to get so many people in here for the ministers to do this dog and pony show, right? 
And the West has done this for about 50 to 100 years. And look at the West. The church globally is growing. The church here is dying. That our mode, our way of doing things, friends, is just completely off. We took one piece of scripture, right? These kind of crazy things in Acts 2.41 and said, this is how we're going to do church. And we completely forget the rest of the New Testament. Look at Acts 10, verse 24. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends, his household. Acts 18, 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. John 4, 53. The father knew the hour was, was when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. The history of the church is household to household to household to household. This word oikos. Here's the definition. It's the most natural and common environment for evangelism to occur. Two, it's a group of eight to 15 people with whom you share life most closely. It's your sphere of greatest influence. Listen, you don't have to go and find your oikos. We all have an oikos around us. The people for whom God wants to prepare you to become an ideal instrument of his grace. It's a microcosm of the world at large for whom God sent his son that all who place their faith in Christ would be delivered from the bondage of sin and enjoy life to the fullest. So our second way that we begin to change, first, we have to be changed. Second, we shift our focus to our oikos. We put all of our chips on that table that we are going to give our lives to our oikos. Tom Mercer wrote a book called 8 to 15. be a great book for you to read to encourage you in this. He says this, he has actually set a table for you, a table with anywhere from 8 to 15 chairs around it. Your oikos might include the clerk at the grocery store where you shop every week, the server you talk to at your favorite restaurant, the person you keep running into every day at work. Our oikos comprises different kinds of people with different needs, but they've all been supernaturally and strategically placed there for a reason. God wants to demonstrate his love and grace to them through us. This is the point of your life, for God to demonstrate his love for the world through you to your people, to your world, to your oikos. Your oikos does not contain the same 8 to 15 people who make up mine. But it is that world, your world, that God wants to transform, to bring to himself through the one common denominator they all share, you and me. That is challenging, but also really exciting, isn't it, church? That God has entrusted this in these jars of clay, right? To, to bring the news to these other little jars of clay in our world. Uh, just raise your hand in this room if you became a believer because of a parent, a close friend, or someone who, very close to you. Raise your hand. Almost all of us in this room are here and following Jesus because someone owned their oikos. Whether it was a parent, an uncle, a leader, whatever it was, you were in their circle. And they made it their point 
to pray for you, love you, and disciple you. And you're here today because of these people. Stats say that 95% of us came to Christ through the influence of someone in our oikos. Listen, this focus on oikos has huge implications for us, for how we live our lives, for even how Covenant Church as a church functions. First, a focus on our oikos leads to great ownership and great purpose. Look again at Luke 8. This right here has stayed with me all week long. Verse 39. He says, he doesn't say return home. He says, return to your home. Friends, God has given you people, has given you ownership of a certain household, of a certain oikos of people, and he's telling you to return to your home. You can't get away, even here with Zacchaeus, there's this expectation. Today, salvation has come to this house. Throughout the New Testament, you see this idea that someone receives the gospel and it's changed, and there's just this kind of, well, yes, your household will be saved as well. Because if the good news comes to us, it should change the way we live so much that the people around us should notice. And when they notice, we have this great response that Jesus changed us. Not some new self-help thing, not a new diet, but Jesus changed us. He is my new hope. He is my new security, nothing else. He had to own it. He had to own his oikos. Listen, we are changed by Jesus, not just for our good. We are changed by Jesus for our oikos. Because now God is using us to bring that good news to the people around us. Listen, they're going to be the ones to know that God has actually done something in our lives. Listen, the stranger doesn't know the old crazy you, the old worried you, the old angry you. They just know this person now. But your household, they know you. And when Jesus changes you, Your household notices, your oikos notices, and it provokes curiosity and desire for what is going on in this person's life. Listen, this gives us a chance to live in a small enough world to make a big difference. See, there's this this thing in us to want to change the world but not get our hands messy, right? Listen, when God sends, when he changes us and sends us to our oikos, our hands are going to get messy. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be hard. But we can make a big difference in our little world. Listen, this should give purpose to the mundane of life with our oikos. Parents in the room, I talk to many of you all the time who feel like you're doing no ministry at all. Listen, every spanking you give, every time out you give, every diaper you change, you are ministering to your household. And there is no greater, greater honor, greater purpose than the mundane that no one sees. The love you give to your children, the discipleship you give to your children is the greatest ministry that we have. Look through the lens of oikos. It changes the way that we work. It gives such great purpose to going to work because your household is there. Your people are there. Your 8 to 15 are at that workplace. And so when you go to work, you're not just going to make a paycheck or do a task. You are going to bring the good news that Jesus changed you to your oikos every single 
day. It transforms the mundane. Listen, you know, there are many times that I go dinner with my extended family. And I do not want to do it. Amen? Right? Oh, it's Thanksgiving again. Oh, awesome. That's great. Oh, we're doing Arbor Day this year. Great. That's good. Um, But listen, God has given me in-laws, given me siblings, given me aunts, because Jesus changed my life. And many times the only way your aunt, your sister, your father, your mother, your uncle will see and hear the gospels through you. And that these annoying family dinners, right? If you love those, I'm really sorry. That's just the way I'm wired. But, if you, but it just transforms these things of a great chance to just, because they know you best. No one knows you better than your sibling, right? No one. And it's this, this just beautiful opportunity. And listen, full confession, I fell at this every single time. But there is great purpose in being with our households. A focus on our oikos gives us great ownership and great purpose. But a focus on our oikos also changes how we do church. Listen, the church has basically farmed out every aspect of discipling your oikos, saying, okay, send your kids to us, we'll take care of that. Send your students to us, we'll take care of that. We'll talk to your students about sex. We'll teach them this, teach them that. We'll do all this for you. Oh, your marriage having problems? Go to our women's group over here. Your wife will feel so much better if you have women friends telling her about Jesus, reading Bible together. Oh, marriage problems? Go to this men's group right here. Learn how to be a man, lead your home. We'll take care of all these things for you. Neighbors, coworkers, just if you can just get them in the building like once a year at Easter, you're doing your job there. We will take, we'll send a flower out in the mail for you. We'll do a billboard. We'll take care of all that for you. Just please show up. Just please show up and give some money. Maybe serve once in a while and we'll be good. And that model is just broken, friends. Pastors have said, we're going to stop equipping. Just bring them to us. We have taken the work off of you and allowed ministers ourselves to have a job and a great ego. Because look at us, we're doing all this work for you. And it gives you this out to just consume, right? To kind of let go of your responsibility for your oikos, because it's now our job. We'll take care of this for you. It's off your plate. What do you see here in verse, 30, uh, verse 37 of uh, Luke 8? Verse 38, I'm sorry. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away. Jesus sent him away from the comfort of the experience. Listen, he could stay there all day. This guy was naked in a tomb chained up with demons. He just wanted some more experience with Jesus, right? He wanted to just kind of sit there in this holy huddle and be filled up and be happy. And gosh, from my perspective, he should be able to do that. God, give him a break, right? But Jesus sent him away. And that should be this challenge for us that we many times just drift to this kind of holy huddle type thing. That we are here for ourselves and ourselves alone. Maybe our kids too, but primarily this is for us. To come and be experienced. And we fill our lives with holy huddle experiences while our oikos is going to hell. While our oikos is completely in pain. 
or our oikos does not know Jesus. And we have this great news, and we're just sitting here saying, I'm going to stay right here at the feet of Jesus, just all the time. And Jesus right now to all of us, to me, is saying, he's sending us away. You are my sent ones. You are me in flesh now. You are my ambassadors. And we just want to sit here and have this experience over and over again. Friends, this is why covenant exists. This is why this church exists. We want to be a support group for world changers in their oikos. Listen, we, don't, we exist for your oikos, right? We don't exist to, to like do all the work for your oikos. We exist to encourage and equip you and send you out into the world. This is why we as a church exist. This is why we send out Church to Shreveport to New Orleans because we need localized pictures of the gospel for equipping and encouraging. And listen, it's hard work, it's tiring work, but it's why we exist. Friends, I, I fully believe this. We will see true change in our community when we truly enter in our oikos, when we truly own our households. It's not going to be tomorrow or next week or even next year, but in 10, 20, 30 years from faithful men and women doing faithful, unseen work in their little worlds, we can see the world changed around us. I know Weston and was praying for this, that through just planting this little gospel seed, that the racism, the poverty, the dissension, the brokenness of that little world can look different. And he is giving his life, his time, his money, his energy, his family to seeing that work happen. Stephen had a gun pulled to his head this week because he believes God was sending him to a new household in New Orleans. And here's a challenge for many of us as well on this kind of idea of household. There are things that break your heart in the world. And that's a good and a right thing. But you really can't do ministry far away. If something truly breaks your heart and you feel God is sending you somewhere, you need to move. Because Jesus moved in with us, right? Jesus was God. Much better house than you have right now. He left everything behind. Everything, and he came and got near and close and dirty and sacrificed for us. So if something breaks your heart, it could be homeless. It could be single parents. It could be the poverty somewhere. It could be anything. But if, he's bra- if you can't get away from it, you need to change your circle. Because the only true ministry you can do is in your household. You can't really do much outside. You can do a few things here and there. But primarily, you do ministry in your oikos. So here's our application today. Just write this down. Jesus changes us and sends us to our oikos. If you have nothing else, just write that down. Jesus changes us and sends us to our oikos. He changes us and he sends us to our oikos. So three things for you this week. First, own your oikos. Jesus said he's he's sending to your home, right? Own your oikos. Listen, you can't own your oikos if you don't know who that is. I would encourage you to get a, 
a, a piece of paper out, this old thing, and a pencil or a pen, and write eight to 15 day, names down of people far away from God in your circle. We all have these circles, whether it's work, hobbies, relationships, family, whatever it is. Listen, we make lists for everything. This, if you're changed by Jesus, this is the point of your life. Write those names down. Own your oikos. Second, pray for your oikos. Jesus must do this work in their heart and your heart. Pray for your oikos. And third, engage your oikos. Invite them to your table. Let them hear your story. Let them see how God has changed you. Friends, this is the point. This is why we exist. This is why we do things and we sit and we plan and we pray. Why in two weeks we have a vision night that's all about how to encourage, equip, and send you to your oikos. This is why we are here as a church. Just imagine if the, you know, 80 or 100 adults in this room just owned it. Like we said, okay, I'm tired of playing games. Jesus has changed me. Or I want, I want to really investigate this whole thing with Jesus and see why I don't see this fruit in my life. We're truly changed by Jesus. And we're then truly sent out to our oikos, to our people that God has sent us to. If we truly did that, what could this look like? In 5, 10, 15, 20 years, not this gathering, but our community. God could do some amazing things through us, church. That's what I'm praying for. And that leads today to communion. This great picture of change, right? Of this idea of being changed by the blood and body of Jesus. That we come and in our small, consistent, every week ways, we just take this and we're, and we're changed. We're conformed. We're reminded of who God is and what he has done for us. How Jesus came to us has changed us and now we're sent back out. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to come and we're going to take communion. If you're not a member of Covenant Church, you're welcome to join us in communion. But if you're not a member of God's church, we ask you to sit this one out. This is for Christians, for believers only. But before you come this morning, I want to encourage you just to wrestle with this question. Has God really changed me? Is God changing me this week? Am I owning my oikos? What is God trying to say to you through these things? Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for um, your good news, uh, your love for us. How you didn't just sit back um, with all the trappings of heaven and security and comfort and leave us to our own devices, Father, but you entered in. You got near, you got close, you brought the good news. And you spread this good news through household after household after household. And Father, here we are, recipients of your good news, Lord. So, Lord, take this good news, take this little seed of the gospel in our lives, Lord, and use it to make this beautiful display and picture of your kingdom in our community, Father. Lord, speak to the brothers and sisters, the men, the women in this room today, Father. Speak to us, Lord. Give us next steps in our spiritual walk, Father. Clarify who are these people you're sending us to, Lord. 
If there's sin in this room, Lord, let us deal with sin this morning, Father. Let us be quick to confess, quick to repent. Father, we love you. You have blessed us immensely, Lord. Let us respond with obedience and worship. Pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come when you're ready.